Champagne Soccer, we're back. We're feeling good. Well, Cletus is a little under the weather, but we're thankful that he's thugging with us. You know, how you feeling, Cletus? You know, got to conserve your energy, but I, I know you're bringing the funk today. Man, you know, I was in the in the chamber, like, like you know, like Zordon, like Goku, you know, getting ready. So, yeah, we're going we gonna, we gonna to turn up today. I'm my voice, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into that, brother. Soon, pause, you know. But uh, to start the show, this is Champagne Soccer, the best show in the world dedicated to the beautiful game, bringing you the joy, the happiness that comes with the sport. And I guess the best place to start is with a team that did pop champagne this weekend. We had the Copa Libertadores final between Fluminense and Boca Juniors. It's a classic matchup between Boca Juniors being the ultra-defensive counterattacking side and Fluminense being the free-flowing offensive side. It went to extra time. A lot of hot things happened, red cards galore, but in the end, Fluminense won 2-1 thanks to a former president, John Kennedy. <laughs> Man, that was in the third division on loan because he fell out with Fluminense's manager, Fernando Denise. Eventually, the loan didn't work out, so he comes back, gets another chance, and now he is a champion of South America. So this match, from what I saw online, guys, it seemed like this final reinvigorated interest in South American football because of the tenacity, the passion, the fans, even the style of place, how distinctly different it is from Europe. But uh, what did you guys think about the final and Fluminense winning, you know, basically solidifying Fernando Denise's tactics of, you know, his freedom of flow movement, relationism, as it's called in the English media? Well, I'll pop it off, man, because, you know, I was a bit disappointed that Andrew and them did not make the finals. Boca got them up out the way, but um, <clears throat> the game was hot. Okay, and I'm not even meaning like with 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 like action as like saying good football. It was hot. Like the they were physical. Like you can see the Brazilian Argentinian beef. Like and and you didn't mention it. We got I I see that Arsenal is trying to get my boy. Also, Andre was on the pitch. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, shout out to Andre. <laughs> Y'all got to relax, bro. We already got a package deal. We let that boy go get that ship, and we he supposed to be on the way. Y'all got to relax. But and man, we, you know, you know our sporting director Edu's a Brazilian. You know, we got it like three, four Brazilians on the squad already. I mean, hey, pull up, man. Hey, bro, we trying to get our for being vacuum our Dyson replacement. But back to the game, man. We had Marcelo um out there. We had um he was on Fluminense. Um and we had what's my boy? Uh Cavani on Boca. Uh to be quite honest with you, Cavani really wasn't in the game. Like he really wasn't involved. He did have one pass in the box that was kind of hot, but they tricked it. Um the goal for Boca, that shit could be a goal of the week candidate. Cause yeah. bruh, that shit came out of nowhere. Yeah, Luis um, Advincula. Yeah, that yeah. was a banger. Um, 
what was that? So yeah, the um that brother Kennedy, he's a wild one, bro. Okay, <laughs> he out here on his Cisco flow. And my man's got the gold, went in the crowd, yeah, and they escaped him from the pinch. Two minutes later, he was gone. Grand opening, grand closing, man. <laughs> okay, Marcelo, like get your ass in the back, bro. I'm happy you got to go, but get in the back, bro. But then we get some stupid stuff from Boca. Look, bro, that, that's when I was like, this shit is kind of deep. Because bro got physical on that little tackle to get him up out the game. And I was like, okay, okay. But when it was 10 v 10, they went on to pull that thing out. Like I said, it was a hot game, though, bro. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm going to watch the next one for sure, for sure. Yeah, man, and. To highlight some other guys who stood out for me in that match, I got to salute Genzo, Fluminense's number 10. Claytis, you can recall we were in college watching Genzo heavy when he was on Santos with Neymar. He won Copa Libertadores with Santos and Neymar in 2011. Went to Europe, didn't really work out for him, came back and reinvented himself under Denise, you know, as an older player, still effective. And I also want to highlight um, one other man for Boca Juniors, Valentin Barco. He's like a left back, left winger that's getting a lot of press that he's going to make that jump to Europe. He didn't really have the best game. He was playing more of a left winger in a 4-4-2, but I think Andre did a good job, and Marcelo did a good job trying to double him up on the flanks a little bit to bother him. But uh, man, great match. But uh, hey, one more player that Cano or Kino. Oh yeah, that brother, that brother was putting that mother effort on point in the box. Mm-hmm. How old is that dude? Herman Cano. <laughs> they like to the joke that he's a German because you know Herman German. I think he is in his mid-30s, if I'm not mistaken. And he's, ironically, he's from, well, not even ironic. He's from Argentina, man. <laughs> and he's 35, yeah, going on he, 36. He was, right. he was right. Yeah, 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 German boy, Herman. But <laughs> he was balling. He had a nice goal to start the match. Uh, Anthony, we've talked about Fernando Denise's tactics and his style of play and earlier this season and how influential it is in Europe now, what do you think winning the Copa Libertadores does to his style of play now that it's stamped with the ultimate club trophy in South America? Uh, I think it, it solidifies that it's of use. And um, we saw Pep tinkering with it earlier this season um with city and i think now it'll be adapted across the world um for those teams that can uh afford to use it you know and so it's it's nice that it was able to solidify that Claytis, you remember when we used to watch ganzo and all that what does it feel like to see him 10 plus years later, still balling and winning a ma- another major trophy. Um, I'll say, you know, when it comes to football, not everybody's going to be successful in every league. And I think a lot of time um, South American players, especially Brazilians, find it difficult to adjust to European style of football because a lot of time they're more so like free, 
free flow players. They play in the streets. They play off like instincts and emotions. But yeah, I'm definitely glad to see that he's back in, um, you know, back home doing his thing, still being active. I really, I remember like me and you watched his highlights while back. Like we definitely wanted him to make it in Europe, but you know, I'm glad he he's able to still play, win trophies. Um, who knows, man? Maybe he's able to do another um another move to to Europe or go to uh to Dubai or something. Hey, he's 34, man. Yeah, hey. <laughs> he, might, he might have to call the Saudi Super League. <laughs> Still get a check in the Saudis. Never know. <laughs> Ephraim, this was, like Marcus mentioned, the rivalry between Argentina and Brazil was flowing throughout the match. The final was played at the Americana, Brazil's most iconic stadium. What did you feel about the atmosphere and the match overall? Well, I didn't get really get a chance to watch it, so I'll be straight up about that. But I did watch some highlights of it. I didn't really get a chance to to get a feel for what the atmosphere was, but I can only imagine, especially in a, in a match like that, you know, as you talk about the the rivalry between Brazil and Argentina, we know how hot those games get, especially like in Argentina. I mean, people get kidnapped and murdered and all types of wild stuff in, in different places in, in South America. So I can I can only imagine how how huge it was especially with a lot of like fouls and you know I, I think there was a red card at the end near the end of the game um if I'm not mistaken so uh or something like that uh but yeah man it was it seemed like a hot game um I watched the highlights it was it was all, the first goal from uh not excuse me the second goal uh John Kennedy that shit was really nice on a uh, like a counter attack um the first goal from like Marcus said the first goal from uh uh Boca Juniors was phenomenal um but yeah I wish I would have watched it in real time I'll, I'll try to catch the next one uh live but uh it looked it looked nice look real cool yeah man that was an amazing final you know after the world cup final to see something the men's world cup final to see another final like this because the Champions League final wasn't as exciting uh, compared to this because there is no passion in the same way. And Hey, did you see that brother go uh, full Zidane and put his head, the (laughs) the Boca brother? (laughs) That's when I was like, oh, this shit's lit. (laughs) Yes, it's crazy, man. And Marcelo, he said, this is the biggest trophy of his career. Much respect to Real Madrid, but Fluminense made him. That is his boyhood club. He was able to come back after a weird stint at Olympiacos in Greece to come back to his boyhood club where he learned the game, became a pro to be a part of the first team to win the biggest trophy in their sport. Hey, man, it's amazing. So salute to Marcelo. He's definitely going to be in the club. But Anthony brought this up, you know, um, and I want to go through the list real quick. There's about 15 guys who have won the Copa Libertadores and the Champions League. The first one is Juan Pablo Sorin, won the Champions League with Juventus in 1996 and the Copa Libertadores with River Plate in 1996. The irony is that he was at Juve, but he left halfway through the season 
only played 44 minutes in the Champions League. But hey, man, that's still qualified for that medal. So he's the first one to do it. The next one was Roque Jr., who won with Palmeiras in 1999 and AC Milan in 03. Also won the World Cup with Brazil in 02. You guys remember, if you guys remember, he was a an exciting fullback who was very dynamic. Course number three, you got a Cafu, the greatest right back of all time in many people's eyes, won the Champions League with AC Milan in 07 and won the Copa Libertadores 92 and 93 with Sao Paulo. That's one of the greatest teams in modern Brazilian history. I also got to salute Dita, goalkeeper for Brazil, 02. He was one of the backups on the World Cup team. He had a, man, he had the cleanest part I ever seen <laughs> in sports history. He won the Copa Libertadores with Cruzeiro in 97 and the Champions League with Milan in 07. Carlos Tevez. Claytis brought him up earlier this week in one of our chats. He won with Boca Juniors 03 and Man United 08. Walter Samuel won with Boca Juniors in 2000. Inter Milan, he was on that trouble-winning team in uh, 2010. My big brother, Royal Aldinho, Champions League, even though it's illegal, in 2006, if you know, you know. And then Copa Libertadores with Atletico Minero in 2013. That's why I, I don't like it when people talk about Ronaldinho being burnt out and not lasting as long. Like, yeah, his European career wasn't as long as we would have liked it, but he still bought an AC Milan. Then he went back home to Brazil and was still balling at a high level. And if you notice, guys, Ronaldinho started the wave of brothers going back home to try to win, not just going back home to sit down. Because, well, at the end of the list, you'll notice, oh, like, man, all these Brazilian brothers went home. Like, our, of course, next on the list is Neymar, Santos, 2011, Barca, 2015, that trouble went inside. Danilo Santos, 2011, Real Madrid, 2016. Cletus, your big brother, Rafinha. Bayern Munich 2013 and Flamengo 2019. Very underrated player. Another big brother for Claytis. One of the most beloved Chelsea players ever, Ramirez. 2012 with Chelsea, 2020 with Pomeres. Another Claytis brother, <laughs> Willie Calibro. 2021 with Chelsea, 2003 with Boca Juniors. Damn, another Chelsea brother. David Luiz, 2012 Chelsea. 2022 Flamengo, and then Anthony's brother, Julian Alvarez, 2018, with River Plate, 2023 with Man City, and now, of course, Marcelo, five Champions Leagues with Real Madrid, and now his first Copa Libertadores with his boyhood club, Marcelo. Uh, guys, what do y'all think about that accomplishment? Do you guys think that it's more difficult than we think or do you think it's just terms of if you're a top player and you're playing at top teams this should be more normal because it does seem like this has really just happened all in the last 25 years or the last 30 years roughly yeah honestly I kind of like the fact that you know whether it's like Brazilian players or South American players in general are going back and still trying to play at their highest level, compete. 
Um, because when you look at like the the European game, it's a little bit more demanding on the body, like it's more physical, you know, more aggressive training tackles. And I'm not saying that South American they don't attack, they they tackle. But I feel like you're still able to play at a high level because a lot of times, you know, like the style of play, like I said earlier, is more emotional. Um, is not like as pragmatic where you kind of like set it in, in a certain way. You have to play a certain formation at all times. And, you know, just because you can't make it in, in England at 30, 31 does not mean you can't go to South America, you know, or Brazil and just, you know, and ball out still. So I definitely think this is a good look. I remember when Ronaldinho first made the move, but seeing a lot more like players like Rafinha going back, um, Tevez, you know, I think this is going to be a trend that's going to continue on. And it's gonna, they're gonna find a way to incorporate it with the Champions League or try to like, you know, put teams against each other. You know, FIFA and UEFA are all about the money, so I could definitely see that coming up in the future. Yeah, Cletus. I mean, you already know the FIFA World Club Club World Cup is about to get expanded. So, yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. Um, Marcus, what do you think about? this trend uh do you think we'll see more players like even your brother Fabinho maybe go back home in a couple years try to do it I mean yeah, shout out to Fernandinho he almost won Copa Libertadores the year before I was about to say um if if you think about it you would have had to well he's not Brazilian but just a player of a list of players going back to playing that league you would have had Cavani and if Marcelo them didn't win. So yep. I do think it's a growing – well, I wouldn't say it's a growing. It's already been happening. But I think more of the bigger names, like they're going to probably choose that instead of going to the MLS, instead of going to Dubai. I think that's just an added option. And it seems like also it's mainly a Brazilian and Argentinian thing mm-hmm. because what is that? Messi said he wants to eventually go back. Man. Um, yeah, we don't think that's going to happen. Um. But it's a couple of other players. Like, yeah, you said, um, Firmino said he eventually wanted to go back. Fabinho. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure Richarlison probably would want – if he did Richarlison. Is Richarlison – did he even play? It was another player that I thought you was going to say that was a Chelsea boy, but I thought about it. I was like, he never won a Champions League. And I don't <laughs> even know if he's a real Brazilian boy. Oh, he, man. Who, Diego Costa or something? Oh, no, I was going to say Oscar, bro. Oh, no, nah, Oscar, you know him. He he left to go to China too early. Was he even on that Champions yeah. League team in 2012? I think so. Was yeah. he played this? Yeah, he was, right? He wasn't in 2012. But it's funny because last year there was, you know, a lot of talk that he's looking to come back to Chelsea now last year. Yeah, that, he, he needs like, that. Now, man. Still play. But it's like you're not you're not coming to Chelsea to play, bro. Yeah, go coach, go coach the academy. But uh, speaking of Chelsea, this is a interest. This is a rough segue, but I think it kind of makes sense. Um, Chelsea, their legendary women's head coach Emma Hayes is now reportedly going to take the U.S. women's job. She is one of the greatest managers ever. If you look at what she's accomplished in terms of winning the FA Super League six times, five FA Cups, two League Cups, you know, Community Shield, she's been very dominant. And now it looks like she'll be coaching the U.S. women. 
what do you think about this move, Cletus? Will this help our ladies get back to the top? Yeah, I'm kind of sad to see Emma leave. Um, I was kind of hoping, especially with like the transition at just at the start of the season where she took more of like an admin role. I was hoping that's where she might end up after like another two years at the club. Um, she'll move into like admin role and then really start working on, you know, improving our women's academy. But yeah, I'm I'm sad to see her leave. She's definitely she's written a chapter for herself in the Chelsea history, but also like in women's sport, um, not just in England, but I want to say, you know, on a global market. Um, but you know, it's interesting to see what she's gonna bring to the US uh women's national team, a team that's already stacked as it is. Um and then for them to have a you know a coach with that, that much experience um, working with top talent, um, I guess another couple of years of U.S. dominance. Yeah, I'm with you. I think she's the coach that can bring a style of play and can fine tune the attack because you have a lot of people playing out of position to get veterans like Alex Morgan to let them play their spots. You got Rapino, Krieger, a lot of the older generation have retired from the national team, Ertz. So it's time for new blood. And I think she is the right manager to lead us to that next level to bring us back to the top because the women's game is getting more competitive now than ever. So you need a coach that knows how to build an organization like she has done with Chelsea throughout the years for her insight to be for the U.S. I think it's massive. So salute to her and I hope everything works very well because she's also a young woman so she can definitely do this job for the next decade if she likes. So that'll be fun to see how that progresses. But uh, you know, let's keep it on Chelsea. Let's go to the men's side. Uh, It was a red card fiesta. Chelsea smoked out Tottenham 4-1 to give them their first league loss of the season. Nicholas Jackson with his hat trick, telling fans to shut up, hitting the Sioux. Hey, Cletus, you must have been proud, man. I ain't going to lie to you, man. I was sick. I was I was already throwing a towel. I didn't care for the game. I turned it on just to have the background noise on. And lo and behold, you know, my boys came through. Um, one thing I would definitely say about like watching Chelsea more and more is that I believe in Pochettino, but I still don't believe in the players and especially Jackson um, and then some other individuals. But um, all around, I think, you know, uh, Pochettino's experience in the Premier League definitely has helped us out um, in some of our most recent games and not always going like straight attack mode or whatever, but like we're slowly getting better at our build up trying to, you know, find open spaces and continue to create space and create opportunities for Jackson. Um, you know, he's not a prolific goal scorer, something that he's working on. And of course he will get better. Um, but yeah, I was, I was happy with the game. Definitely a lot of interesting decisions. Um, shout out to VAR once again, taken away from the beauty of the game, but, um, yeah, it was, it was an open, open match. Um, all those yellow cards were not yellow, but all those red cards were um, highly deserved. So, yeah, you know, I'll take my three points. I don't care if it was eight men, nine men, 10 men, 11 men. I won. Hey, Clay, that man did a jump, a uh, drop kick on your damn player, bro. Bro, it's cool, though. We got three points. Anthony, 
what do you think about Ange Postiglou's decision to play with that high line, even though they had a man down deficit and then two men? Do you think that's honorable, like the band in Titanic playing as the ship went down, or was that foolish? Hey, man, and sometimes you got to know your strengths. And he and he obviously was like, we're going to fold if we play too uh, defensive. We're, we're actually going to break. So F it. We're going to go go for the attack, man. We're going to try to hold hold the line here and force the attack. And you know what I'm saying? You win some, you lose some, man. You can't can't beat yourself up. Um, it's almost like going for it uh, in like American football on like a fourth down. Uh, and you're like on the 40 yard line and you know like dang if you punt it the game's over sometimes you just gotta go for it man and uh i'm happy it didn't work out you know Tottenham's down city <laughs> <is up. laughs> you know top of the league so yeah man i'm, I'm glad he did it saying so yeah shout out to cole palmer oh uh, yeah he is doing his thing hey man marcus i tried to tell you, you should holler at that young man when you guys yeah thank you yeah. Me, me and Clay got an investigation. We gonna we gonna put it hey, out there soon. No, oh, no, YOLO on nah. this one. Oh, I was talking about the solid replacement, bro. Oh, investigation it got now. We already discussed that. And you know who I'm gonna give you for that. That that Leroy is not leaving. Oh uh, yeah, he can't leave now. Hey, He's but the answer that Pasta Cargo joint. I think every manager have one. We got we got smoke seven zip. What is that? I don't. I think I seen uh, City get smoked before. I don't see Arsenal get smoked. You got to get that up out the way. You know what I mean? Like get it out the way early. And if you, I kind of been re- quite interested interested in his interviews. And Brett kind of shitted on his backups, so he don't have any belief in them. So I see. I understand. He he like shit. I still got my attacking players on here. Fuck it. Let's just hold that high line. But yeah, you gotta get that up out the way, man. I mean, they, they probably bounce back some. The only problem is they got a lot of injuries out of that game. No Madison. Let's see how they come back from that. The show. The show. Now for Man United, we were hoping you guys would drop some points from, but your captain Bruno Fernandez saved the day in the end. Secure that result. Uh, what did you think about that match overall, you know, and is it an issue, do you think, with the attack where you're not able to create certain chances? Because, man, to play Fulham and wait until the 91st minute for a goal, that must have been frustrating. Yeah, it was a tell of two halves, first of all. Like, the first half, the, the team looked like some shit, you know, took a while to get started and, Looked outplayed, of course. And the funny thing was, Fulham wasn't even pressing or anything. It was just like a passing gallery, kind of like when Louis Van Hall was here and, and they were just doing a lot of passing around the back. That's what it looked like. And then finally in the second half, it looked like they finally kind of woke up a little bit, started attacking a little more. The thing I get frustrated with is you got somebody, and I know he's not proven yet, so he he, he won't score a whole, whole bunch of goals maybe yet, but you got a guy like Rasmus Boylan who he paid a whole lot of money for, and – you know, nobody tries to give him service into the box. Nobody tries to cross. We don't have a – we win the ball a lot up the field, which is something that you you can build on that, right? Like, that's something you can say that's positive about Manchester United. They have a really good uh, way of turning teams over in their own half. 
probably the best in the league, if I'm not mistaken. Probably one of the best, if not if nothing else. But they can do nothing with it. It's all about like missed opportunities or never feeding the right person, uh, trying to be selfish and shoot when you probably should have passed it to somebody else. You know, like I said, this guy was six foot two, six foot three. Cross that thing into the box. Let let him try to let him try to get some headers in or 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 something, some some rebounds, poach some goals or something. But uh, I don't know, man. It it, it took a while to get into the game. Uh, I still question some of the lineup. We got Sophie and Amrabat. He's not playing. You're starting Scott McTominay. He doesn't touch the ball much in the game. Uh, you know, he doesn't want the ball. Uh, he's more of an attacker, it seems like, which is fine. But come back and get the ball sometimes. Come back and uh, do something to kind of create up some more space for other people. But I, I don't know. So I'm I'm kind of lost on this. Mason Mount, where are we playing him? Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we got the three points. Uh, I don't believe Ten Hogg's job is on the line. I think it's kind of uh, – I'm um, hearing he has the backing of, of the new the new potential – uh, part owner Jim Radcliffe. So, um, but I don't know, man. This team just looks a little funky to me right now. Still, I, I still don't think there's an identity. Um, but you know, we'll see in the next few weeks what, what we look like. I dig that. Now, Liverpool, you guys were in a similar situation. Very tense match. Uh, a lot of wasted opportunities by Darwin Nunes. A lot of people are saying now that he doesn't like tap-ins, but he'll score a wonder goal. A United Academy player, Tideth Chong, scored in the 80th minute. Luis Diaz scores the equalizer in the 95th minute. Powerful goal to save points for your team, Marcus. And he showed a message talking about, hey, man, free my father, man. Free his pops, man. Bring him home, but how did you feel about that, Marcus? That match, we're going to keep it short and sweet. That match really pissed me off because it's like you see exactly the problems that I have with Darwin Nunes. But I didn't voice. I just was like, I just wanted everybody in the chat to say it. And it was so funny. The motherfuckers was like, damn, if he could just hit the easy go, y'all be up three by now. Like... He he might only need to be a super sub. Like, I'd rather see Gakpo up there. Because like I ain't got time. Now they now we three points behind. Now Anthony over here relax. He pulling up. Don't even don't even care what's going on right now. Like, it's not a good look. And this was it is and it kind of was like another problem showed itself too. We we might not have the right players to break down. These park the bus Jose Mourinho ass teams like we we need Andre bro. Yeah, you don't need him, man. Let him come to Arsenal, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I do hear your point because I that was a question I wanted to ask you last week. Uh, what do you think is your best front three moving forward? And it looks like. Nunez is not a part of that. No, sir. If if I had to pick right now, Jato would play that position, Diaz on the wing, like how it usually, and then Salah. Because with Darwin in the um, middle, uh, Salah doesn't even look to score for real. He's just a passer. He letting him use his legs. So 
I want Salah to give me some goals. Darwin super sub. I dig that. And hey, speaking of super subs, one guy was thought by many to be added to this team as a sort of super sub, but now you could argue he's the most important attacking player on this team so far this season, and that's Jeremy Doku. Manchester City smoked Bournemouth 6-1. Jeremy Doku contributed to five of the six goals, one goal, four assists. Anthony, how does it feel to seem like you got another superstar attacker potentially on, on your side? Hey, man, move over, Kevin De Bruyne. We have Doku now. We got a new Belgian. And uh, it's awesome to have somebody so explosive. Usually, um, can't say usually, in my years of watching this sport and seeing Pep's team, I've seen players have to adapt at least a, a season to get situated with the, with the squad and uh, Pep's tactics. Doku is the first one I have seen just drop in and get the green light to do whatever and not just do whatever. He's actually really contributing. Um, usually Pep likes to have his wingers keep the ball out wide. So Doku naturally would have been able to do that. It's like, yeah, man, just, just hold the ball, maintain it. But that's what Jack Grealish did, you know, maintain it, you know, try to make something happen. Doku is maintain it and he is making something happen. It's automatic. And, um, I don't think there's no team uh, we can go against with him on the pitch and not get a goal. Like, he is a playmaker. So it's it's cool that we found that in the midst of Kevin De Bruyne being hurt and we already had these conversations, like, who's going to step up for the team? And we found somebody. For sure. And I got to read a quote from Pep on the weekend after the match. He said, Doku, wow. he He's just... He's not just a great player for one-on-one. -on -one. He surprised all of us. He's a great footballer. Artishi Bekstrain, again, made an incredible action bringing Doku here. I think he's happy. Hopefully, he can be at Man City for many, many years. So, Pep gave props again. Once again, this is a player that Tishi said, hey, man, Pep, this boy will work in your system. Go get him. And same thing like he did with Julian Alvarez. Remember, I always bring it up, Mark uh, Anthony, when we when you showed me that documentary and we saw the clip when Tishki was breaking down Julian Alvarez's game. The Pep, like, hey man, he can play a, a number nine, number ten. He can play on the wing. He can do this. He can do that. So, gotta shout out Tishki for finding these young players that can fit the system and. Jeremy Doku joins an exclusive club, the Four Assist Club. If you look at a lot of the players who have done this, they're mostly central players. You could argue that Jeremy Doku is the first wide player to do it because uh, the first person to get four assists in a PL match was Dennis Bergkamp in 1999, Arsenal legend. You got Jose Antonio Reyes. Rest in peace, Arsenal fan favorite. You know, he was another striker. You got Cesc Fabregas that did it for Arsenal. Not, damn, this looks like an Arsenal thing. Four assists, Fabregas. Damn, Santi Cazorla, Arsenal again, 2013 against Wigan. Hold on, all right, man. <laughs> I did Bayer did it too. 
Arsenal again, but this time he was on Tottenham, but you know he's Arsenal boy. He did it against Newcastle. And then, oh, you got to salute Pogba as well. Pogba, no Arsenal ties, and now Doku did it. Uh, Ephraim, what do you think about this four assist club? Seems very exclusive. <laughs> I don't know, man. I ain't really got much thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I mean. Well, you're not used to seeing that much creativity in a match? <laughs> yeah, actually, Paul Parker had uh, uh, a game a couple years ago where he had a few assists. Yeah, man, that's why I had to salute you, man. You you remember <laughs> that, right? Yeah, I think it was against, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was against uh, Leeds, I think. Yep, uh, and that's when he was playing out wide on the left wing. And we thought, oh, man, new position alert, and then he got hurt. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, man, so, yeah, that's it's a, I mean, hell, it's a hell of an accomplishment. So, uh, I mean, it just shows, like, playmaking ability and, and you know, sometimes when it comes to, depending on the, the player, passing range and, um, you know, obviously the the attackers or or whomever is, is on the other end of the ball when they when they pass to him. So, um, yeah, great company to be in, and uh, salute, salute, and salute to uh Pep again. Once again, that's why they call him one of the greatest managers ever, if not the greatest manager ever. He finds those pieces like you like who was talking about Doku before the season started, like before before Man City picked him up. Who was really talking about him like that? Um, yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Now all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, who is this kid on the, on, you know? So yeah, man, salute to Man City for, for doing it the right way. Well, I say doing the right way with, with charges, <laughs> still him and <laughs> nobody's talking about that. But like, as far as like getting the players in is what I mean. Like getting, getting the players to fit the system is what I mean. So, uh, salute to them for that. For sure. And they beat young boys. We're getting into the Champions League results for today. Man City beat Young Boys 3-0. Holland with the brace, Foden with the goal. Uh, remember at the Ballon d'Or ceremony, Drogba asked for some love, man. And <laughs> Holland scored. He did one of Drogba's celebrations. Uh, what do you think about this, Anthony? It seems like uh, recently you guys are alternating between positions. Against Bournemouth, you guys played that 3-4-2-1 and Doku was able to be unleashed on the overloads from the flanks. But this match, it looks like you guys went to your 3-2-4-1, and you've also played a lot of 4-2-3-1 this year. So what do you think about now how you guys are so tactically versatile that it's almost impossible to game plan against you guys? It's a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, it goes back to what we first talked about today. Um with that Brazilian style of play, just the, the open flow for the total football. Um, we talked about it last week with the key. I don't know if y'all noticed when I was watching the match today, He, I'm, I'm meant to put it in the chat, but he was playing more so of Rodri's role. Mm -hmm. And Pep gave him the green light to float into the midfield and play the double pivot and facilitate next to Rico Lewis until Rico Lewis would be the, the the player that led the ball more into the attack, but Aki was also right there until they made the subs and stuff, and that's when he stayed more in the back line, but still did his sort of drifted forward after that too. It was that that something that, like you said, they're way too versatile, and we were talking about how they're going to line up with Vardio 
and a key out there. And it looked like it's it's the same thing, but different tactics. So yeah, Vardy was playing the left back, but he's attacking and you got a key and the basically playing a CDM and, and also dropping back. And we are now seeing the class of a key, man. I'm telling you, he really is Mr. Pivotal. Um, and it's good to see that he's back and not as hurt as I was speculating last week. And, uh, it's with Doku and this, these new tactics and Alvarez and Foda, I'm t- man, this team is dangerous. I'm trying to tell you the, the second CL is loading up. I don't know what other team around Europe is looking as solid as we are right now, even in the midst of, again, De Bruyne not being there. Yeah, you guys are the favorites, and it looks like you guys are going to become the first English team to win four straight league titles. So, hey, man, unless something miraculous happens, I don't see anybody stopping you from that. But uh, let's – come on, guys. Let's take a second and laugh at Barcelona. They lost 1-0 to Shakhtar Donetsk. <laughs> Ah, man, let me tell you, they were talking about, oh, man, we're going to qualify for the champ. We're going to qualify for the knockout stage early, man. They still stress on that Europa League, man. Cletus, <laughs> I know you enjoyed this result because I was laughing. I was like, hey, man, who are these brothers, man? I don't see any Brazilians at Shakhtar Donetsk anymore. They just lost to straight up Ukrainians. Yeah, I just I just dropped that in a chat for them. Uh, hopefully, they could find some flights to the to the um, Europa League games because you know they don't have no fundings already, and them losing out on Champions League again, going to Europa League, those boys are done bad. You know they they even selling grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're selling grass. They're selling stones. They're selling seats. Anything to generate some money. But yeah, yeah man, this is I think you know. With Xavi winning the league last year, yes, you know, you respect it, you applaud him. Um, and I think the the biggest reason why they won the league was more so because defensively they were the best in the league. I think they probably conceded like like what less than 15 goals, less than 20 goals in the in the whole season. Yeah, it was about tw- it ended about like 20. They could have broken the La Liga record, but they were leaking goals at the end. Yeah. So it's like it's not necessarily like their attack is like you know, a real strong and formidable attack, but it's just that they're good defensively. Lewandowski yeah. did lead the league in goals, but yeah, yeah. it's more so the first half. The yeah. second half after they had more injuries, they got more defensive, yeah. And then if you look at it now, it's like, you know, they have a lot of, I don't want to call them wingers, but, you know, you have the job Felix, um, so Fernand Torres, you know, it's like you're still trying to find the pieces, see like where they're all gonna fit. Um, you know, you got Pedri, Gavi, all these other players, you got um kids coming through La Masia. Um, and it's like you're trying to incorporate all of them into the team. And I think that's where Chavi's having like the biggest issue is that he's not establishing his first eleven and being like, All right, this is the team that's gonna be carrying out my instructions. This was gonna be playing in the Champions League. These are the players I'm going to rely on. Instead, it's been a lot more so like shifting around and replacing players, just kind of hoping their individual brilliance will kind of like build them out. Um, and, you know, they're here they are once again, going back to the Europa League. And this is going to be what? I think like five games in Champions League that he's lost or like, you know, I think it was like a weird since I was looking, but there's like five years that Barca hasn't made it past like round of 16 or something like that. So that's where they're at now, broke boys. <laughs> for sure uh, other results from today Lazio beat Feyenoord 
Porto beat Antwerp 2 0. Uh, Atletico Madrid smashed Celtic 6 0. Red Bull Leipzig beats Venezuela 2 1. Uh, Milan beat PSG 2 1. Olivier Giroud with a wonder goal. PSG continue to be underwhelming. Uh, what do you what do you guys think about uh Real Madrid putting out a letter saying yeah we ain't talked to Mbappe? What does that mean to you guys? I'll right. start with yeah. What is that? That's kind of funny to me, but I think it just goes back to like Madrid trying to like put down their foot and say we don't really have time for this chit chat shit. Like we're focused on our like on our own project, and then just after like that statement came out. You see that Vinicius extends, Rodri extends, you know, Kamavinga <laughs> yeah. extends. Like, so it shows that, like, you know, yeah, Madrid want, you know, they're still thinking about Mbappe, but like, they're not letting that be like their main priority and their only focus. Like, they're still trying to, you know, be proactive and, you know, keep the players that they need. And I think it's a smart play. Realistically, we know one way or another, he may end up at Madrid and then Madrid's going to use that extra $200. And buy somebody like Hakimi because they two hundred dollars. Really have two hundred M's. I was about to say, I was like, "Hey man, will you try to make a Barcelona transfer move? What is that? Two hundred dollars." I'm sorry, man. Let me show some respect. But yeah, you know, they could definitely go for somebody like Hakimi because they do need someone in that position as well. Um, but yeah, it was just a funny statement. I don't think there's too much to it. Um, I think PSG is kind of like giving up the fight, but. Yeah, it was an interesting statement to come out at, at a weird time, right before you you extend your your current players. The show and uh, the last result of the Champions League was Dortmund beating Newcastle two 0 Prior to this match, Newcastle beat Arsenal one 0 Very controversial result. A lot of Arsenal fans crying. Mikel Arteta had a big rant talking about he's been in England for 20 years and he's embarrassed. I was like, hey, man, all right. Uh, you got Arsenal putting out a statement saying that they back Arteta. A lot of people are talking about the corruption amongst the refs. Some people think it's an inside job. You know, Arsenal, we're going to talk about which fan bases have the best propaganda and campaign. You know, Arsenal, we like to have the woe is me. Everybody is against us. We so sad. Hey, I've played into it before, too. I'm not acting like I'm above it. But this time, I'm like, hey, man, it is what it is. You played a match against a team that does have good structure. The attack didn't play well for Arsenal. I mean, it's very obvious that when you have a midfield that <laughs> you got boys like Jorginho at the base and Kai Havertz, I don't think you're going to see much creativity. Uh, Eddie Nketiah's hit or miss. Saka and Martinelli at this point, they're losing form because they have to be superhuman every week just to create chances. So was it a goal that should have stood by Anthony Gordon? No, but hey, it is what it is. But there's people that say the VAR were boys that also work in the Saudi league. And, you know, the Saudi league is ran by the Newcastle owners. So, hey, man, it's a big conspiracy. A lot of people are mad at the professional game match. Officials Limited, a.k.a. Pogmo, you know, 
Shout out to Pochettino. He said a lot of coaches wanted VAR, were body popping for it. Now you have it, you hate it. And then he said, man, I ain't talking about Arteta. I'm like, yeah, you are. It's okay. I know Arteta's your boy. Y'all played at PSG together back in the day, but you can throw a shot at your boy for crying. So do you guys think that the refereeing issue and VAR overall is taken away from the joy of the game? Because I even saw a stat that said in the Chelsea Tottenham game, the ball was only in action for 43% of the time, which means that's like the lowest ratio of match time we've had in like over two years in England. Yeah, that's ugly stat. Um, and, you know, that just proves that VAR takes away from the joy of the game is like majority of the time you're just waiting for a decision to be made, whether, you know, the build up to the goal, there was an offside player or there was a, fa- a foul in the other um in the other half it's like it's so many little things that affects the flow of the game and it's like you can't really enjoy the game because every moment nowadays is like it's being either under review and you just don't know which way it's gonna go even when it comes down to like you know the offside rule now the the rule is that the refs um are gonna keep their flags down until the end of the play but we've all played football we've all watched the game for so long it's like you could tell that this player is clearly offsides, but what benefit does it does to let him keep running, knowing he's offsides to score a goal, only to tell him, oh, yeah, you could still go ahead and run and try to score. You're offsides. But then, you know what? Let's just go to VAR and see if you are offsides. So now that's like a whole 10 minutes where we're waiting for one decision where you could have been put up your flag and said offsides, and we could have just moved on from that, from the flow of the game. It's, it's, it's really getting like kind of pointless. We really can't tell what is the law and what's not the law and see like what is VAR really looking at. Yeah, Clay, Clay I agree with you. And it's it's nasty because it's talking about like the law, we're we're almost refuting like laws of nature. And we we only brought this into the sport to refute uh human error. And it's like that. That's why they're keeping the ar- their arms down. They're, they don't. They don't want to make a mistake. We're gonna put it on VAR, and then VAR makes a mistake. But that's now. That's now we're having an issue with VAR. So it's like we should, we kind of should just trust the people doing the job and honestly set like set the standards like they were. You know, like all right, this is offsides, and go back to I guess maybe put VAR in a corner to where it only is used in certain situations. And just go back to rocking with human error, man. People, people gotta get paid for the, for what they do. And if if it is taken away from the sport, I, I believe we we can put it back into the hands of the refs to actually make the right calls. So, yeah, Marcus, how do you feel about like the decision that like the Carabao Cup doesn't have VAR, but the other other matches do do you think like they're sending mixed signals with that like all right you so you realize var is tricky so you don't want to use it in this competition but it's cool for everything else do you think that's creates some weird standing too it it, to me it is but um and i forgot it's a cup the other cup and uh i think it would no this year they did use it i was about to say they didn't use var in the cup in the MLS, the MLS Cup joint, not the MLS Cup, that's playoffs, but the other little joint, the league's cup. One. 
Yeah. Yeah. They didn't use it in that last year. And the reason they kept saying was it's it was too expensive or something like that. So yeah, it's kind of mixed signals because it's like you'll pay for it for the league, but then you won't pay for it for the cup. So how important is the cup? And it is it's funny since the Liverpool situation, more and more situations have came out, and it's like VAR, the people that's working VAR are getting worse and worse. It's the time is getting longer and longer. And then it's like people get mad at the decisions that they're making. So it's like they need to go ahead and fire that dude who over whoever is over that the little VAR shit right now and then come back with a new strategy or something. Like when we go on international break, come back with a new strategy, man. I dig it. E money bags, what are your thoughts on the ref situation in England? Do you think it's worse in England compared to the other top five leagues in Europe? I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say, but it, it seems like it because it seems like we're always talking about VAR in, in, in the UK. Um, yeah, it's a joke. I think I feel what Anthony and, and, and Clays were talking about. Like we need to have more human error. And, and if it's human error that we we check, then that's probably what it should be instead. These refs are so scared now. You know, these games are taking too, way too long. We already had what we had in the Chelsea game, 21 minutes of, of, of added time total <laughs> and and nine in the second and it's not just injury stuff it's like var how many var checks were there in that match this is just in that match um you know and i and i get the arsenal thing because united had one that was taken away against brighton earlier this season so and it was pretty similar um so yeah it, it's very inconsistent it's a it, it's, it's delaying matches way too long there's too many of them in the match. And to your to your question to Marcus about why it's not across all competitions is a joke. It, there's no way it shouldn't be across all competitions. And there's no way that the Premier League should not put, if you're going to rely on VAR so much, then you need to you need to have like some the top-notch technology, all the money that they get. They're about to renegotiate their 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 TV deal. They're about to get more money. So they, I can't. It's hard to believe that they can't put more money into uh, better refereeing. If they're going to keep VAR, better VAR, all that stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's it's been a joke so far. Yeah, man, it is a joke. Uh, when you look at the Champions League, there ain't that many English refs over there. So that tells you about the quality of the their decision making compared to the rest of the leagues even in the world cup you ain't see that many england hey. refs in hot matches so hey, real quick and didn't in the world cup didn't they use like some kind of new technology some kind of instant like it, it was real quick the, yeah, the like the offside shit. like like why why can't the premier league the richest league in the world invest in something like that for their offsides if it's that big of a deal or or there some better camera angles in certain state i know every state may build the same but especially these newer stadiums, like better better camera uh, uh, placements. The NFL did it; they put them little cameras on the uh, on the goal line things, the, uh, the goal line uh, uh, markers. So now you can see a goal line play a lot better. So I mean, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, man. <laughs> and when you come to think of that, there wasn't really that many controversial decisions in the World Cup. Well, except for all those Argentina penalties, and you know. <laughs> well, let's get into that, man. Sicko. 
propaganda, man. Propaganda makes the world go round for better or for worse because there's a lot of misinformation spread, especially now in this time in the world where there's a lot of things going on where people are taking advantage of misinformation. But in this instance, we're talking about the lighter side of it, sports. We know fan bases can be toxic. They can be promoting their players. They can be putting people down. And I want to know y'all thoughts. Who or what player, what team online, social media, who do you think has the best fan base? Who do you has the, think has the most toxic fan base from what you guys have seen? I'll start with you, Anthony. What are your thoughts, man? Because you're you're a Man City fan. You guys aren't toxic online because you guys are still not the biggest, but you guys are growing. But who do you think is the biggest haters out there, and who who are the most supportive fans out there? Man, um, I gotta say the tightest fans probably are Real Madrid fans. Um, just because of how prestigious they are, what? they're not as chill. Hold on, let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. Yo, because on the opposite end, listen, we're talking champagne, we're talking big clubs. So, and, and Dan started with me for a reason because I'm a novice here. So, if I'm looking at big clubs and and people who can actually look down on people wearing all white, looking real tight, big Champions Leagues, they actually are really cool. Barcelona, on the other hand, heritage, it's actually kind of nasty. I actually don't like talking to Barcelona fans or Man United fans. I just saw something online. Some Man United fan was trying to say John Stones is the weakest link on City. And I was like, hey, man, these niggas just got this shit fucked up. So it's it's a lot of other stuff. So I, I actually respect how I can talk to somebody like Jamar and be like, dang, like they're, they're not saying like, man, you can talk to a Real Madrid fan and they can almost not say nothing to you. They don't even got to talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can be like, yo, what are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I got no words for you. But the fact that they can carry conversations, I respect that. And if we're talking just strictly this sport, I already said I don't like Man United fans. Dan, thank you for getting me hit the city because Ephraim was talking about 20 times, 20 times. Like, that shit was yesterday. And then I had to find out, like, dang, they ain't won in a long time. So that was kind of delusional. And, <laughs> it's and a decade to, since it, they won the league, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, hey, but if we're if we got to take it away from this sport, I got to throw it in there. The team formerly known as Redskins slash Commander fans, those those people are delusional, man. I'm sorry, oh. but those are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. You sure you sure it ain't Cowboy fans, man? Like really, like yeah, them too. It. Nah, them too. Nah, I but think I, the biggest delusional fan base, especially in NFL, is Cowboys. Let's be honest. Then on them too for sure. They 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 definitely are they got a little some sort of disease going on. I don't, I don't want to label it, but they got something. The, the commanders fans, they got something too, man. And I'm just I, I'm gonna reflect on myself because I know I, I used to be a part of that club and I had to I had to bounce out, man. Years ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying years ago, man. But <laughs> I think the most toxic fans are outside of uh soccer are LeBron James and Michael Jordan fans them niggas won't rest man they've killed basketball conversations online because now it's all about legacy and championships and what have you done we can't even appreciate highlights without hey man you know Blue, you know LeBron the, the oldest nigga to average 
25, I'm like, all right, yeah, we get it. Hey, man, even me, I'm a Michael Jordan fan, but I'm not one of those guys online like, hey, man, you know Michael Jordan, 93, he did this. Hey, let brothers rest. Enjoy the new era. I get it. And the same thing happens in soccer. Cristiano fans, Messi fans online, it's very toxic with the propagandas they create. I think uh, Messi fans, these guys have, you know, tried to enhance things with uh, – League trophies in the MLS, the World Cup made them lose their mind. I get it. Hey, man, shout out to Cristiano. He's doing his thing in Saudi Arabia, but his fans never talked about his system until he started cooking it in the Saudi League. So I don't know. I think but for the most toxic fan base, soccer-wise, I think it is either Man United and uh, out sales, so Barcelona, because... Barcelona act like they have integrity and they're the heart of the game, but they're massive cheaters and we're not having it anymore. United, we know what you guys used to do. You guys had illegal charges too, cooking books back in the day. We know the truth, but hey, it's all right. Now the L's are coming, but Marcus, what do you think, man? Who who got the good fan base and the bad fan base in the streets, man? Um, I think my club got the best fan base, you know, because it could be a gift and a curse. Because if you coming out talking crazy about our players, then you're going to feel the sore. If you are Everton or Man United fan, you're going to get the, you're going to get this business. Now, if you dumping yeah, on you FSG. like Jay Prince with these threats, man. I'm just telling the truth real quick. Now, if you dumping on FSG, Shit, the whole goddamn click might join you. So, um, yeah, I, outside of soccer, I think the Philly fans are the most delusional fuckers. Y'all ain't one shit. But hey, um, yeah, I think it's Man United, Everton. Um, I'm I'm sorry, Clay. We come up a couple more years. It might be Byron, FC Hollywood. Y'all might not be Hollywood no more. Like. Thomas Kuko making y'all put y'all about to ride the the short bus, but yeah, I think it's a honestly, I think we are gonna say Man United though. Them boys is lost. <laughs> they do have a massive fan base. Uh, Ephraim, how do you feel about brothers talking down on your club, man? I'm gonna give you this. I think it's true. I was actually gonna pile on as well. Because uh, I think not only because it's a massive fan base, because that doesn't mean shit. Because like uh, Anthony said, Real Madrid has probably one of the biggest fan bases, if not the biggest fan base, and they don't seem very toxic. I think as far as United fans, uh, yeah, I did scream that 20 times, 20 times, but it was closer to 2013 at that point when I was screaming it to you. So it wasn't that far <laughs> off from us winning. No, it wasn't. It was four years. It was like three or four years from us winning in the league. So it wasn't like eventually five years. It was eventually five to six years. Yeah, but now it's 10. You're right. So, uh, but but uh, I do think our fan base is very toxic. I wouldn't, I, it's hard for me to say the most toxic, but I would say that we are pretty toxic because we fight amongst ourselves. We fight anybody else we got a self-inflated 20 times ego as as you know as it was already said so I do get that you know even myself like riding that 20 times for a long time so uh and that shit gets old but uh especially the other fan bases you know especially ones that have 
as was pointed out to me, we have one more recently than uh than we have. So I do get that. But uh, I, yeah, I ain't gonna back down from like saying that. Yeah, United might have one of the worst fan bases in in soccer. So uh, yeah, and I don't know who would have the best fan base, but uh, yeah, Real Madrid fans, I guess the kind of coast sound a little bit. They don't seem too bad. So I will go there. Play this. You're a mastermind at propaganda like me, man. Game respects game. Ah, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm so gonna... wh- where do you lean in, in this, man? Who who do you yeah, think has um... the title of biggest haters and who is the f- title for best fan base? I-, I just wanted to point out this um this one thing y'all y'all made a, a remark about Madrid fans. I want y'all to meet some some real Madrid fans. I want y'all to go talk to the Hispanic Madrid fans and then hang out with them during games and then you change your mindset very fast. I get um, trolled by one every day. I have, and I don't think that's yeah. I, I have, and I, I'm I'm cool. I'm still cool with my decision. I had one yeah. ask me today, "What day do we does my club play?" Oh, United Champions Day. I forgot, Nicky. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're dangerous. There's, I mean, these guys, these are the same guys that said, hey, actually, that dictator Franco was actually a Barcelona fan. I said, all right, guys, come on. <laughs> dangerous, man. Man, I, wa- I watched a couple Champions League matches with my girl's uncles, man. They were Salvadorian, so it was, it, it could have got a little spicy in there, but it was, it was, it was chill, man. It was nice, friendly time, man. That's what I'm saying. I love oh. their fans. Oh, shit. Hey. Congratulations to you, man. Shit, because the Madrid fans, I know, they they be on it. But um, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and give out um my award to Liverpool as I want to say the best fan base all around. Whether it's like, especially even last year and like previous year, when like you know they're out of form, blase blase. I felt like the players, like the the fans, like they weren't really on Klopp as much. Like, oh, you gotta go. It's like they were understanding of the situation they know that they're in transition like you know they I haven't really seen Liverpool fans be toxic you know like in a while you know I've always I always see them being respectful just being understanding just rolling up their sleeve knowing that you know shit is not always going to be sweet for them but you know when it comes to the most toxic I'm gonna have to go for for uh, for a hat trick um the the Lionel Messi fan base delusional the Manchester United, they're on drugs. They're delusional. And then, God damn, Barcelona, they're broke and delusional. I don't know what those three team, I mean, those two teams and Messi FC going to have to do, but their fan base, man, no respect. No respect at all. United, they live in the past. Like, like Anthony said, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. Like, yeah, y'all won the trophy in 2013, bro. I was still, I was I was leaving high school. I'm about to be 30 in like two months. That suck. Yeah, yeah. You didn't even correct me last week when I called you 30 last week. I was like, hey man. Then I realized, hey man, this nigga ain't 30 yet. I, I didn't miss that. I know I'd be low, but I didn't miss that function. You know, I gotta lie to some of my youngest about that age thing, so you, we can't be giving out. Hey, that hey, all right, all right, all right, Freddie, you do. But uh, I noticed you didn't, you didn't, you didn't call out the Cristiano fan base. 
Come on, bro. I'm part of the Cristiano fan base, bro. Oh, Who's so you don't want to talk about I'm be objective. Yeah, be objective. Hold on, hold on. That's a dangerous. I'm I'm part of the Cristiano ab workout program right now. Why would I? Come on, man. Come on. Oh, now he's your Billy Blanks? Yeah, I'm going to drop that in the chat for y'all, man. The Cristiano ab workout is the way to go right now, man. Got to stay informed, you know. For the legs. <laughs> this guy is sick. Instead of condemning his fan base, the nigga said he's going to give us a workout plan. You got to love it, man. <laughs> and, you know, you got to stay true to your team, bro. The op is the op for a reason. You can't let them rest any day. Rashford? <laughs> we'll get into that next week, I think, too. Who, What players and teams do we like hating on the most? Because you know me. I, I was... I was you know, against Barcelona, but I wasn't really going aggressively against them. Now, they're ops for life. You know, I don't got love for Barcelona, but uh, Marcus, it's hot, man. It's playoff season in the MLS. Most exciting time of the year, man. What you got for us, man? What's going on? It's hot. ACL down one in the series to Columbus. Hey man, we up two one. Um, they got a free kick, seventy eighth minute. Uh, the Greek going crazy. Got a goal. Got an assist. Almada back this game. You know how that should go. Bringing that winning spirit. But hey man, we back for the MLS minute. We gonna run through this uh the brackets for y'all man, cause you know we got folks getting dropped. We got folks fighting for their lives, so hey, let's get started. Um, so on the west side, Kansas City got St. Louis on up out of there. Both games, four one first one, two one the most recent one. Go to the next one, Houston versus Real Salt Lake. It's tied one one. First one went to Houston. The last one was a draw. So we're gonna see how that one. The next one is played on the eleven. We're gonna see how that thing go. Uh, LAFC versus Vancouver. LAFC getting them boys up out the way early, five two, and then one zip the second one. <clears throat> then we got Seattle versus Dallas. That series is one one. Seattle got the first one, then Dallas came back and got the second one, three one. Um, so yeah, we already know LAFC waiting on their next ops. Who is that? KC waiting on theirs as well. On the east side, we got Cincy versus Red Bull. Cincy, the best team in the um in the league right now. And, you know, they did easy work with, with Red Bull. Got them up out of that three zip. And then that 1-1. One, one, I don't know how that worked, but that was enough for them. Oh, they went to penalties. And then they got them up out the way at 8-7. Um, Philly versus New England. They haven't played that second game yet. They play that tomorrow. Uh, Philly got that first one. 3-1. And like I said, our matchup is the other matchup in the um East. And the last one is Orlando versus Nashville. Orlando got that first game, one zip. The next game is tonight. So, man, y'all go ahead, check out this ending. Hopefully, ATL get this third goal. Hold on, hold on. No, nah, they ain't going to get it right now. But, man, we up out of here, man. It's the MLS Minute. Yeah, man. We try to keep it under fire this time. 
I appreciate that because I got another question for you guys. Uh, <laughs> the Copa Interamericana comes back next year. And this is where I got confused, Marcus, because it looks like the format will be four teams. You have the Champions League winner of CONCACAF Leon. That makes sense. You got the Copa Libertadores winner, Fluminense. Understandable. You got the Copa uh, Common Bowl Sudamericana winner. And then, hold on, the League Cup winner? What? Hey, what is the League Cup? The, the League, League, right? League, League Cup. Cup. You know, that's, yeah, the League Cup is yeah. the Europa League of North America. Is that what that means? What is this? Wow. Wow. Or right. is this some old David Beckham politics shit? Yeah, this is where, Claytis, I, I hear your propaganda point because I thought a Brazilian fan was bringing this up to hate on Messi and Cristiano fans. But then I was read it, Claytis, and I say, hey, man, when did the League Cup become the Europa League of North America, man? What is this? Can someone explain this to me? Anything for Lionel, man. You know, you know, they're just trying to run up their revenue, make the boy look good, another trophy. Ballon d'Or 2024 coming soon. Oh, no, hey, man. Hey, right. I don't think you can score enough goals in the MLS to get considered. Yeah, but if he wins Copa, I mean, they already gave him one for winning Copa America before. If he win it again, hey, I don't know. Is this, are y'all looking forward to this trophy next year? I, I thought the MLS champion would have more clout in it, but the League's Cup is for everybody, right? Mexican teams. Well, the MLS. Oh, we just got that third goal. Now the MLS champ usually just go into the, the little Champions League, and most time we get cooked. Yeah, but I guess this is like uh that's why I was wondering in the League's Cup, do uh Mexican teams play in it, right? And Canadian teams. Yeah, in the first in the first couple rounds. Well, yeah, yeah they play in it, but they get eliminated. Let me say it um, like that. So I so I guess that is the Europa. <laughs> I guess not because it looks like a uh yeah, it says the team's in it. Yeah, it's just, yeah, Canada is in it. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> I guess I understand it. But, uh, Ephraim, do you think this is going to be considered a legit trophy or is this just more uh, Super Cup type things that ain't really that big of a deal? I mean, if they, I guess if they get some kind of like TV deal to like really show it off or some streaming service like picks up every match. Yeah, they'll make it a big deal. Money talks, man. Like if anytime you put money into it, yeah, it, it's a big deal. Um, so yeah, I, I think if if the, if it goes down that route where we're seeing it on Paramount Plus, uh, or you know whatever Peacock or some shit, yeah, then yeah, it's gonna be a big deal. They're gonna make it a big deal. So, Anthony, are we gonna see? Fluminense play into Miami in the final man because <laughs> it kind of looked like that's what it might look like unless I think actually Fluminense plays into Miami in the semifinal so hey man that better not be an upset but what do you think about this competition hey man it's cool as long as it grows the sport um I think that's a part of the agenda for real so um it's not wrong with it man yeah, especially if it's helping our side of the uh, of the world get more involved into into the the world of soccer um that's fine i dig that and i think also 
What was my favorite fake trophy, Claytis, was when they made up that finalissima, the Euro winner versus the Copa America winner, because it was Argentina, Italy. I was like, hey, man, I've never seen this before. Ugly times, man. They, they do. <laughs> hey, man, but shout out to fake trophies, real trophies, all that. But, hey, we at that time. A hey, quick question, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, I think we've talked about this in the past, but you see how every league has kind of went away from just having a generic um, community shield, but like they've incorporated the Super Cup into becoming like an official trophy. Do you think the Premier League is going to go and try to follow that same model where like they just get rid of the community shield and just kind of make that like the Super Cup? Because um, that's another way they could de definitely, you know, generate some money and, you know, create another Fugazi award like they like to do. Uh, would you guys would you guys be open to that though? Like you know, instead of just calling the community shit, like you know, having that game like has some type of like importance to it. I think it kind of does have importance to the teams that are in it. It's like you want to win because it's the first trophy, especially when the matchup is you know intense. Because mostly what we've seen recently is that it's the first place team against the second place team because you know. The team that's in second happens to win the FA Cup or the team that is in first place also wins the FA Cup, like in City's situation, how Arsenal, we made it because we got second place. And that showed how intense the match was even the year before. Liverpool and City, you know, that rivalry is intense. So I think when you got matchups like that, that's what makes it exciting, but I don't know if they'll rebrand it because, you know, England does like that community shield uh, history of it playing the game, but recalling it the English Super Cup, maybe that would bring more sponsors, but I don't know. What do you think, uh, Marcus? Do you think that rebrand would make it more intense on a yearly basis? Hey, man, that just sounds like something that Pep and Klopp going to complain about more games. But for other leagues, I think it would be interesting to see different matchups in that sense. Like how you saying with the rebrands, but um like how you said maybe we can't we can't get Argentina England, but shit, let's get France and somebody. I mean, that 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 wishy Uber Eats league, they can make a funny looking trophy. I mean, yeah, I'm for it. Ephraim, you feeling this idea of a potential rebrand? Like the Spanish Super Cup rebranded and made it a four-team event and in the Middle East now. It makes a lot of money. Yeah, there we go. Once again, when we talk about money, uh-oh, Atlanta United crushing Columbus. Anyway, uh, yeah, man, I think it's a real uh, possibility because money, money talks. And uh, anytime you bring money into the equation – like I said before, it's gonna make it's gonna be a big deal no matter what. So yeah, if they get some if they get some money thrown into it, make it like a mini a mini tournament. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it is possible. You know, this time every competition is competing against each other. Every league, we know FIFA. I'll, I'll try to talk about that more next week. You guys know that FIFA has a african super league in motion right now right after the european super league didn't go through they got an african super league i'll break it down next week there's a lot of funny business going on 
Chiefs gonna be involved. Yeah, they 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 in there, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll break that down next with the African Super League. A lot of funny business, but uh, <laughs> uh, we at that time of the show, our superlatives. You know, I'm gonna start with you, Anthony. What's your champagne move of the week? Uh, it's four of them, actually, five of them. Uh, it's Doku. All his goal contributions against Bournemouth. I think that's an amazing feat. That's it. For sure. Mine is Harry Kane passing the Inglorious Bastards test, throwing up that three the German way to, you know, symbolize how he wiped out Dortmund in their classicer. That brother's on the form of his life, which is amazing when you think about what he's accomplished in his career already. So salute to you, Harry Kane. Uh, Ephraim, what's your champagne move of the week? Uh, speaking of classy from earlier, I'm going to go give it to uh, uh, Jota and um, and Diaz from Liverpool. For, you know, for obviously what, what Diaz is going through right now and Jota giving some support in that previous game. So... Yeah, that's my move. Nice. Cletus, what's your champagne move of the week? Yeah, man, I found out that, you know, we have another graduate, or he didn't graduate, but he attended the School of Cristiano, um, Jackson Hinesu, and then Luis Diaz, you know, shot his pops uh, after he tied the game. For sure, for sure. Free his pops, man. Marcus, what's your champagne move of the week? Man, I appreciate y'all giving giving shout outs to my boy Louise. But I'm going with Kennedy. Your whole that whole episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That you get props, brother. You really live that Cisco lifestyle right there. <laughs> yeah, living Levina Lunka. Hey man, yeah, that's my <laughs> that's my champagne goal of the week. I mean, it's John Kennedy, man. My brother came back from the dead and then won one Copa Libertadores for the ghetto, man. Hey man, you gotta you gotta salute John Kennedy, man. One of the real ghetto. <laughs> Anthony, what's your champagne goal of the week? I'm gonna go with Holland's second goal today. Outside the box, left foot, top top right corner where you put your uh, winter clothes at in the closet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Marcus, what's your champagne goal of the week? I mean, you robbed me, so I guess I'm going to go with the Diaz tie-in goal now. Oh, no, you can go with John Kennedy, man. I mean, that won a trophy, man. That popped champagne, literally. So, I mean, hey. That boy boy went crazy, man. (laughs) Ephraim, what's your champagne goal of the week? I'm going to give it to the Rafael Leal for his his equalizer today against PSG. Yeah, that was a banger, man. Cletus, what's your champagne goal of the week? I'm going to go ahead and give it to Antoine Griezmann avec le, le but. Um, it was a focus goal today. My boy's been informed this year, so yeah, shout mm-hmm. out to him. That's another brother I want to highlight, too, maybe next week. Uh, I think now, this is a teaser, if you will. I think now I look at him in the same class as Thomas Muller and Wayne Rooney, and I mean that in the highest order, like, I look at them as the ultimate do-everything attackers, versatile, 
playmaking, can score goals, big game players. So, yeah, Griezmann is definitely amazing how he's reinvented himself playing deeper in midfield now. So, definitely salute. Uh, in the club with me this week, come on, Chelsea FC, come in, come in with me because they ended Tottenham's you know, undefeated streak. You know, Arsenal, hey, we still we still invincible, baby. That's all we got left. Never won the Champions League. Not going to win the Premier League. We going on 20 years without that. But, hey, we were invincible, baby. So, Chelsea, you can come in the club with me. Emma Hayes, welcome. You know, please play Sophia Smith and Trinity Rodman in their right places, you know, because the last coach was misbehaving. Who else is in the club with me? Mohamed Kudus. Amazing scissor kick for West Ham. I'm glad you starting now. You're getting on form. You're looking like the player we all knew you would be. So those are the people. Oh, yeah. And, of course, all of Fluminense. Come on, man. Marcelo, John Kennedy, Denise. We all partying this week. So that's who I'm in the club with. Uh, Ephraim, who are you in the club with? Well, you took one of mine. I was going to give it to Marcelo for uh, being one of those prestigious ones to win the Champions League and the uh, uh, Copa Liber Libertadores. So, uh, yeah. Marcelo and his team now. For sure, for sure. Marcus, who you in the club with? Man, um, the Greek, the Greek for uh, Atlanta United, um, Almada, um, Cavani, so you can drink away them tears. <laughs> um, Marcelo. And we gonna have VIP. Because we're going to act like we're going to um, have Guzan in there. But when him just leaking his goal, I'm going to need Vip to just get him the fuck up out of there. I'm going to need him to get embarrassed. <laughs> Getting kicked out the club at the end of the night is always crazy, man. That's, hey. <laughs> I need him lifted in the air. Uh, man. <laughs> Anthony, who are you in the club with? Bring my brothers Doku and Marcelo, man. Uh, great accomplishments over the weekend. We we, we popping bottles. For sure, for sure. Top, top shelf. <laughs> Only the best for the best, right? Yes, sir. Cletus, who you in the club with? The whole set is outside. We're flying from from uh, from Heathrow over to Munich. Mm. Everybody's outside. We're linking up with Clavish. He's going to be performing. <laughs> Sorry, man. Hey, I dig it. I dig it. Hey, man, this has been Champagne Soccer. If you guys aren't aware with Fernando, Denise, and Fluminense, please check out the Copa Libertadores highlights. There's a great package out there, especially if you're in North America, because you know some content is geo-blocked, but the final is over 20 minutes. Highlights are galore. It's amazing. And then check out Fernando Denise tactics videos because there's a lot of them being made recently, especially after he's won and solidified his style of play as being an iconic way to play, the traditional Brazilian way, if you will, if you will, you know, influenced by Fusal. So that's real cool to see too. But this has been Champagne Soccer, fun episode. Salute to everybody. For pulling through. Shout out to Claytis for thugging it through. He's been in the VIX machine, the hyperbaric chamber, doing it all. But he showed up and showed out. And before we disappear, what we got to do, Marcus? Hey, man, until next time, keep them piggies up. <laughs> <laughs>